Well, it's good to be gathered together. Amen. I was looking forward to meeting with the saints of God, especially uh, when you're out there in the world and all you see constantly is wickedness and a bad, corrupt communication. And that's where we once were. And so we have mercy in that area and we go forth with the gospel. But it's good to be in the company of godly people and to be praising God together. Uh, and uh, it's just a thrill. It just thrilled my heart knowing that I was going to meet with God's people today. Turn with me to Acts chapter number 17, please, in your Bible. Thank you for your testimony, brother. Appreciate it. And uh, it's good to be saved. It's good to be uh, uh, redeemed and justified and sanctified by the blood of Christ and to know him. And to know him is to know life eternal. If you're not saved, if you're here and you're not saved, you're not born from above, so to speak, you don't know the Lord as your saviour, I beg you, I beseech you with all my heart that you uh, come to know him and uh, entrust his sacrifice for your sin. He suffered and died upon the cross for your sin. And uh, so you may be forgiven, redeemed, justified, and he'll prepare a home there in heaven for you. And that when he comes again, where he, where he is, you may be with him also. And that's a beautiful promise that God has given us in his word to everyone that has put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. In Acts chapter 17, I'm going to go before the Lord in prayer and then we'll ask the Lord to bless uh, our time together and we'll get into the scriptures and then we'll get into the sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we lift up your holy name and we thank you, Father, for your great grace that you have bestowed upon your people. Thank you, Father, for your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We come in his name, asking and praying for the blessing of God upon the word to our hearts. Father, we ask and pray that you would convict us by your spirit. You know the needs of your people. You know the needs of your children. And we ask and pray that you'd convey your word Father, effectively, help me to deliver the word, Father, simply, uh, graciously, and boldly. I need you to help me do that. And Father, I pray by your spirit that you'd prompt me. Uh, Father, help me with all that I've studied and learned, that you've taught me to help your people this morning. We thank you, Father, for the grace of God that has brought salvation and appeared on all men, that teaches us to live godly and soberly and, uh, and, we, and righteously. And Father, helps us despise and reject uh, this evil world, this evil age. We thank you for the accomplishment, if you will, of the great salvation that you've given to us in Christ our Lord. And it is in his name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Acts chapter 17. Verse 1 and 2, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and, Apollion, uh, and Apolli, Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now after leaving Philippi, Paul and Silas and Timotheus traveled to Thessalonica, and, uh, which is... Uh, populated with Greeks, Romans and Jews and perhaps had about more than 30 synagogues there 
And as we read the scriptures, we know and understand that Paul the Apostle wrote two epistles to the Thessalonians, and so that means there was a church started there. And Paul made it a habit when he went to a certain place, he would preach to the Jew first. And we see that it was his manner uh, to, to reason out of the scriptures in the, in, in the synagogues. And he did this for three Sabbath days. Verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up with him. So he did this uh, even in, 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 in Athens. Uh, if you look further, you see that even in Athens, he went to the synagogues and disputed. So this is something that it was common to Paul. It was something that he did. It was his manner. It was his custom to reason or dispute uh, out of the scriptures to the Jews first. And so the gospel Christ, the cross, was the main thrust of his message. And we know that and we see that. Verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And so there were three things that we see from this, that it was opening and alleging out of the scripture, that first of all, uh, Jesus is suffering, sufferings on the cross. And you don't have to look further than Isaiah 53 to see uh, the suffering savior, savior there depicted. And, uh, and then the resurrection, he preached out of the scripture. You look at the book of Psalms and you see the prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and again Jesus is the Messiah or Jesus is the Christ so these three things we see Paul bring out or open and expound and allege that means to place aside to set forth and bring forth so he was using the Old Testament scripture the Old Testament no, no New Testament scripture as far as we know at this point was written uh, at least you know the things that pertain to Christ and uh, they were the living New Testament preaching the Word of God but he, he would open up the Old Testament scripture he will expound and bring to light that Jesus had to or must suffer and then he had to rise from the dead and that he indeed is the Christ and so if you look at this portion and you see how he preaches the message of salvation and Christ and the cross and the resurrection and so forth and and Christ being the Holy One and you look at other passages of Scripture and you see what he preached to them you can put all his messages together and you'll understand there's everything there there's the cross there's Christ there's the resurrection there's repentance there's faith you do it you do a study on the preaching of the Apostle Paul from the beginning if you will to the end of his first second and third missionary journey and you see all the messages that he put together and you'll know and understand that he did not leave any out over here we just say oh he preached out of the scriptures the sufferings of Christ the risen Christ and Christ being Jesus being the Christ but I guarantee you he would have preached more okay uh, like we see here preaching in the other passages of scripture now this is not the thrust of the message what, what I want you to see is the way people responded to the message okay and I want you to see this in verse 4 and 5 I want to bring your attention to the responses now there's always you know, at least two th responses, three probably maximum. There's a response of believing, unbelieving, and those that are in the middle that are contemplating or counting the cost. Over here we see two, that we see the believing and unbelieving. Look at verse 5, and some of them what? Some of them what? Believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, of the chief women not a few, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy. 
And so there was a great multitude that believed. And the word here, consorted, means they associated with or joined themselves with. And so they consorted with, they believed on the, on the Lord, and then they followed the Apostle Paul, and they were with Silas and followed them. And they would have spent time with them, like they did in Antioch and so forth with Barnabas. And, and you know, the discipleship for the Apostle Paul was so important, and they would have perhaps had more time to build them up in the faith, uh, again, we don't, if you, you see the life of Paul and you, and, and you understand his heart for the things of God, you could, you know, use your imagination that he was no doubt investing his life in these people. And there were some that were onlookers that believed not, that were moved with envy because of their faith and because of Paul and Silas's following. Their faith in Christ, of course. I mean, these you know, believers demonstrated genuine faith. There was no doubt about that. He wrote it in the epistle in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, look at this, which effectually worketh also in you that what? That believe. So it impacted their life. They believed. And, uh, and, 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 and they joined themselves or consorted with Paul and Silas. And those that believed not moved with envy. Now this happened in, in Paul's first missionary journey. If you look at Acts chapter 13, the Bible says in the next day, Sabbath day, they came almost, uh, the, uh, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, what happened to them? They were filled with envy because they saw the multitudes follow and flock to hear the word of God being preached from the Apostle Paul. And look at this. And they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So over here we see a, a more vigorous approach to the Apostle Paul, uh, contradicting, blaspheming. You can imagine the scenario that was taking place and, 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 and the contention that was taking place because of these men that were dissatisfied with people that would come to Christ and believe. Now, envy is destructive, and it makes a person do crazy, crazy things, fleshly, crazy, evil things. And wisdom of God makes it clear in Proverbs 27, verse 4, that wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who, but who is able to stand before envy? And I want to preach on four things today. I want to preach on the character of envy, the consequences of envy, the cause of envy, and then the cure for envy. All right? Uh, envy is a killer. That's the title of the message. It is an absolute killer. It's destructive. And so what's the character of it? Well, we can uh, get a little glimpse from verse 4 in Proverbs 27. If we know and understand that wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, then how much more is envy? You know, by the way, all these are negative, uh, used in a negative sense in this context. Because we know that there is a positive sense. These are negative words. These emotions, uh, wrath, anger, envy are all governed by carnal, sinful, fleshly attitudes. Uh, wrath, anger, and jealousy in the scriptures is also used in a positive sense. When God is wrathful or when God is angry, it is used uh, depicting his holiness and his justice and his judgment. Uh, it is jealousy that is, you know, when God is jealous and God says that he is jealous, it is jealousy for. 
God is jealous for his people. Why? Because he wants to protect his people from those that deceive his people and from those that wish to uh, simply you know, uh, consume or destroy God's people, lead them astray, so to speak. So there's a big difference between uh, being je jealous for and being jealous of. And God is, God is jealous for his people, where carnal, fleshly, wicked behavior, you're jealous of. Paul was jealous for the Corinthians, and he didn't want them to be deceived by the false teachers. And he said that, for I'm jealous over you with a what kind of jealousy? A godly jealousy. Why is that? Because he didn't want them to be deceived by these uh, false teachers that undermined the Apostle Paul and set themselves up as an authority. However, this passage, uh, you know, acknowledges the fact that there's a dark side of wrath, anger, and envy, jealousy. And so we have to understand that there's a big difference between white righteous and unrighteous anger. Uh, James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There's a difference between God's wrath and, and the fool's wrath. Look at verse 3 in Proverbs 27. Have a look. It says, A stone is heavy and a sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is what? Heavier than them both. So a fool's wrath is so heavy that it is hard to bear under. Okay? It's been said that a man would rather carry, stone, uh, carry a stone or a sand than he constantly being annoyed by a loudmouth fool. And there's a big difference, of course, between godly jealousy and ungodly jealousy. So if wrath is cruel, hard, harsh, and hurtful, and anger is outrageous, condescending, shameful, and disgraceful, how much more envy? How much more? How much more? William MacDonald said, Wrath and anger are cruel and overwhelming, yet often they are short-lived. But jealousy continually gnaws away at a person and is therefore more grievous. You know, envy displays the character, no doubt, of the old man. Remember what Paul said to, to Titus, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedience, deceived, serving divers, lusts and pleasures. Look at this. Living in malice and what? Envy. Hateful and hating one another. Envy is the passion that feeds bitterness, strife, greed, covetousness, and resentment. And so it grieves at the good of another and will be still plotting and planning to do them hurt. That's what envy does. Now, why did these Jews plan and plot? Why did they plan and plot against uh, the disciples? Well, firstly, number one, they rejected the truth. They were unbelievers. They weren't living by faith, of course. Uh, they believed not, and therefore they were moved with envy. Second of all, they saw the great multitudes following the apostle Paul and Silas after they believed. So they were envy at the multitudes that were simply flocking to hear more of the word of God. And brethren, mark it down. Let me tell you something. Uh, the enemy doesn't like it when people get saved, nurtured, discipled, and on fire. They're envious. They don't like it. And you can mark it down. Every time you see people, uh, you know, believe or get encouraged or something is happening in the life of a person, there's always something there looking at them, envying them. And so the character of it is, is, is uh, no doubt vicious and, 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 and vile and causes you to do things that is out of Christian character. 
You say, what do you mean out of Christian character? Well, when we get to the end, I want you to understand that we still have the old man and we're still prone to manifest this even as believers. And I can show you very clear passages of that. Very clear passages. But first of all, I want to get to the second point and show you the consequences of envy. Envy hurts others. All right? Envy you know, drives or moves a person to do all kinds of evil, as mentioned. I mean, the Bible says, who can stand before envy? Get out of the way. Now, you don't know when someone's exhibiting this. It could be subtle, it could be in the heart, it could be two-faced, double-tongued. You know, uh, you don't know what man is plotting and planning. Sometimes it just comes suddenly. So there's not really anything that you can do on the receiving end. But this is an admonition for us that you and I, brethren, would not be on the giving end. That we would hold ourselves from exhibiting or manifesting this emotion that is destructive. In verse 5, the Jews which believed not moved with envy, look at this, and took unto them certain lord fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar <laughs> and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring him out to the people. What's the consequence? What was the action? Well, they stirred up the people. They caused up an incitement against the disciples and because of Jason was hosting the apostle Paul and Silas and so forth in their house, Jason got the bad end of the stick. You know, that's what happens when you associate yourself with godly preachers, persecution comes. Well, he was a godly man, no doubt. Aquila and Priscilla, same thing. They laid down their necks for the cause of Christ. They were helpers of Paul in Christ. And Paul specifically thanked them for them laying down their life. It happens when you're around the things of God. Of course, when you're preaching the word of God, when the word of God is working in people's hearts, there's always going to be a resistance. The devil is not happy. His minions are not happy. And sometimes even carnal Christians are not happy when they see something taking place. And so what happens? They stir up. They stir up what? Trouble. People are so discontent. They can't see people thrive. And so what, what's the consequences of it? It moves you to spoil or cause trouble or havoc. In this case here, the household of Jason were assaulted. They were dragged away and put forth before an un un ungodly court system. Envy is a killer. Remember, why did Cain kill his brother? Because he was envy. He was envious, I should say, at Abel. The Bible makes it very clear. If you want to turn to Genesis 4, I want you to see this. We'll stop and pause here for a moment and look at some illustrations. But I want you to see this in Genesis 4. I want you to see the, the consequences of envy. What it makes you do in the, in, in the long term when you let it manifest and you unleash this emotion and you don't constrain this uh, emotion and you let it rip, so to speak. I want you to see verse 3 of Genesis 4. The Bible says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought, forth, brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the, fir the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But look at this. But unto Cain 
and his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very what? Wrath. And so this is, very, this is where it began. Wrath. Wrath is what? Cruel. And, and his countenance fell. And, uh, and it begins to simply develop into something worse. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not, shall not thou be accepted? And uh, he says, If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto, unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt not rule over him. And in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and what happened? He slew him. He slew him. You know, the Apostle John gives us a little bit more insight about this, and he says in verse 12 that we ought not to be like Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him. Why? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's what? Righteous. And he envied him. You know, the Lord can, you know, simply gives a solution to, to Cain. Well, why don't you just offer a better sacrifice by faith unto God? And we know it was by faith and God accepted Abel's sacrifice because Hebrews 11 tells us that he offered it by faith. And, 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 and so you didn't offer it by faith and there was always an evil intention in your heart. And we're going to see later on what the core or the root problem is for envy. Why? Why does it stem out and hearken up or if you will, uh, rear up its ugly head like it, like it does. Well, there's a root problem. But before that, I want to give a little bit more uh, illustration. Remember Joseph's brothers. What did they do to him? They sold him into slavery because of envy. Envy. The Bible makes it very clear that his brother, in Genesis 37, 11, that his brothers envied him. And Stephen uses... Joseph as an illustration in his preaching to the Jews and he says in Acts 7 verse 9 and the patriarchs moved with envy and sold Joseph into Egypt but God was with him. Aren't you glad that God is with you? If people are plotting, planning things against you because of envy and you don't know that, you don't know the cause of it and, and sometimes thank God we don't know but you know what, thank God that you can live by faith and you can live righteously and you know that God is with you. That's a blessing. See, when you do right, God will always bless you and the favor of God will always be upon you. You don't have to go and uh, live uh, like Cain or live like Joseph's brothers and try to manipulate uh, out of envy and cause things to happen and all the rest of it. Live by faith. Do what's right and God will bless you. The worst thing is when you act out of Christian character, act in the flesh, you won't be blessed. Well, remember Dathan and Abiram together with Korah they were gathered, they were leaders that gathered together and rebelled against Moses and Aaron out of envy. In Psalm 106 verse 16, the Bible says, They, plural, envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. I'm not going to turn there, but if you look into number 16 verses 1 to 4, Moses and Aaron were accused of lording over God's people. And you know what Moses did when he found that out? He fell down and cried to the Lord because it wasn't true. Moses was a God, was a God called leader, never wanted, to be, never wanted the position in the first place. You go back and you see, never wanted it. You know, and, and godly men never seek things that are outside of the will of God. You're safe within the will of God. And by the way, you'll be content there. 
and you won't envy what other people have or what God gives them. And remember uh, King Saul, he pursued David out of envy. I want you to turn this 1 Samuel, I want you to see this also. Have a look at 1 Samuel. And look at verse 18, uh, chapter 18, sorry. All right, look at verse 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines that a woman came out of all the cities, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet the king Saul with uh, tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very what? Wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they that have ascribed unto David ten thousands, to me that they have ascribed but thousands, and what can uh, he have more but the kingdom? And look at this. And Saul, verse 9, eyed David from that day forward. You know, to eye David, to keep a watch on him. Like, let, me, let me tell you something. Did David know anything about what's taking place here as far as he was concerned? He was doing what God called him to do. And let another man praise thee, and not thy own lips. And so we see here, King Saul eyed David. He didn't do anything wrong. And what about the religious uh, rulers that crucified Jesus? Did you know that they crucified him out of envy? Pilate knew that they crucified Christ out of envy. Have a look at Matthew 27, verse 17. And therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had what? Delivered him. So even Pilate knew. Pilate saw the unjust behavior that was taking place. And they knew that they envied him. This is why, I don't know, in a... In a, in a I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us why Pilate put the superscription uh, as he did that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but it was almost to say mm, to the, or I believe it was almost to say to the Jews, he is the king of the Jews, and you envy that. And he knew that they envied him. You know, I mean, what did he do wrong? He was innocent. He had done nothing wrong but help people, heal people, preach the gospel to the poor, raise the dead, feed people. What did he do wrong? Why is he so hated? Well, because he's envied. He's envied. Now, I want you to see uh, the root cause for envy. We know and understand that the character of envy derives from the old sinful flesh. There's no doubt about that. It comes from the wicked heart of man. But the question has to be asked, what moves a person, what moves envy to come out of the heart, to make manifest and to take action? What, what moves a person to act upon the emotion of envy or the, the attitude of envy? And I believe the root and the heart of envy stems from a lustful desire to, uh, listen, want the praise and the glory. It wants to be recognized. It wants the preeminence. It wants the position. It wants to be acknowledged. It wants the following, if you will. And we see... Uh, some of that take place, but I want to give you some more. I believe the root problem is this. Now, let me, let me, let me go back to the illustrations that I use. Uh, uh, Cain desired recognition. He wanted the favor that Abel simply had from God. Now, 
He could have had favour from God. He, God could have recognised him. I mean, what did Abel do wrong? Nothing. He did nothing to Cain. But Cain wanted, or he envied the recognition that Abel had. Joseph's brothers wanted the praise of their father. I mean, that was it. When the, when the coat of many colours came out, <laughs> that was it. And they started calling him names. Oh, here comes the dreamer. Oh, that put the icing on the cake, I think. As soon as he told them the dream of what will take place, that was it. That was it. I mean, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him. And what, what was taking place in the dream? Who can remember? All right. Well, he was going to be, God was going to set him up to be what? In authority. Oh, what are you, we're going to bow down to you? All right. Well, remember Dathan and Ibram and, and Korah. What did they want? Well, you know, Moses, I think, you know, you're overdoing yourself with all these people. Just take a rest and we'll take over from here. <laughs> they wanted a following. That's why they accused Moses of lording. What about King Saul? Well, he wanted the people to sing more about King Saul, less about David. That's what em em the root of envy the heart of the issue stems from wanting the praise, wanting the glory. And so the religious rulers envied the Lord because they desired the praise and the glory that belonged to Christ. They were asking or seeking, if you will, the preeminence that belonged to Christ alone. All right, I want you to see in John 11, look at this. Have a look at John 11, verse 47. Have a look in your Bibles, verse 47. Then they gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And look at this. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. What were they worried about? Their position. They were worried about the preeminence. They were worried about themselves. Look at John 12 verse 19. Have a look at... John 12, verse 19. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how he prevail nothing, how ye prevail nothing. Look at this. Behold, the world is gone after him. Yeah. Isn't that what you want? And we know that part of the world were just false disciples. I mean, many of the disciples turned back and walked no longer. But the whole point is, is they saw the great multitudes following the Lord and they wanted that following. They wanted the praise. They wanted the glory. I mean, even Jesus proves the fact that they wanted to overthrow Jesus' authority and his purpose and his, and his rule and they wanted what he had. And I want you to see this in Matthew 21. Have a look at Matthew 21. Jesus knew that they delivered him because of envy. They envied him. Look, listen, envy is a killer. It will make you do horrible and evil things and most people don't even know that they're doing it because envy has a control over them because of the root problem that they want recognition, praise and glory. They don't even know because they're lusting after something that doesn't even belong to them. But they want it. They perceive it. This is why, listen people, this is why the world is a mess. This is why strife 
uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and all the different things that we see in the world, the divisions and the variances and, and the disputes and debates and so forth take place, and you can mark it down that most of it is not for the truth, but for a following. It's for a following. It, 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 for the most part, it's never for the truth's sake. And, and, you, and, you know, and you know, it can be so subtle because majority is covered by it. It's for the truth. We want, it's just for the truth. And when you deep down deep enough, and hindsight is a blessing, you can see what truth is this. If this is for the truth, mate, that's what gives Christianity a bad name, by the way. It's people like that. Act in a certain way in the name of truth. And we're going to see again a little later on, the cure for envy is far from that. Because envy doesn't act out of character. It acts with wisdom, with truth. It's quite the opposite. But I want you to see this parable that Jesus gives to expose them. In verse 33, he says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and a hedge and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and uh, let it out to the husbandman, husbandman and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the house, husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Now, this is implying to the prophets. And again, he sent another servant, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But the last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will receive my son, uh, reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us see, seize of his what? There it is. And by the way, the husbandman in this context is Israel. Because later on he says, I'm going to give it to another. And so Israel here as a nation and the Pharisees and the religious rulers were the faces, if you will, of the Jewish nation were envious, if you will, and they were envious because they wanted, listen, his inheritance. They wanted what belonged to God or what belonged to his son. John Philip says, once envy takes root, woe betide its victim. Envy knows no logic and no mercy. There is no end to its gall and guile. Wrath and anger can be appeased, but not envy. The Pharisees wanted the praise and glory in their public and spiritual life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when they prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may what? Are you following me? That they may what? They want to be seen of men. Verily I say unto them, they have their reward. So the whole profile of the Pharisees is not to pray to God and have a relationship with God, is that they wanted to look spiritual. They wanted to seem righteous. It was nothing about asking of God or praying thus, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And there are many people today that sit in pews today, listen, that want to look spiritual. That's all. That's the profile of the religious Pharisee. They want to look the part. 
But their behaviour and their conduct proves otherwise. That's why Jesus said it very clearly, you should, you should know them by their what? And I believe that's their profession that's, and their practice and their preaching. And uh, what about their social life? The Pharisees wanted to, the praise and the glory in their public and social life. Luke 20 verse 46, have a look what it says. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and they love greetings in the marketplace. Oh my. May they love people coming up to them and or bowing down maybe just, oh, oh, and they're like, <coughs> oh, they love it. They love the attention. Yes. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love to greet the saints, and the Bible says greet them with a holy kiss, and I'm a bit re re reserved with that. I'm Lebanese, I love to kiss the brethren. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, because you see them, and you. but these people was nothing about the brethren. It was all about, they didn't recognize me. How dare they not say hello to me? That's what it does. And then you begin to eye that person. Well, has it, has it, has it, I'm just having a little application here. Has it ever occurred to you that they probably missed you, and they didn't see you? Or they were talking over here. But the Pharisees, their social public life, that's all they were looking for. They were looking for people to praise them. Uh, they want to be, you know, praised. And what else? Have a look. And they want the highest seats in the synagogue. The highest seats. They want to be elevated. And the chief rooms at the feast. They wanted VIP. Why? Because they thought themselves to be someone important. I mean, they exalted themselves to sit high upon a throne as leaders. And I want you to see more detail in Matthew 23. Have a look. Jesus rebukes them after that. But have a look in Matthew chapter 23, verse 6. By the way, some of these things, you know, again, you know, you have a little marriage, uh, someone has a table here and here and sometimes at the front and there are people right in the back it doesn't make you less important it's just that you know there are people that are closer than others and then people would like to have other people you know you know but the pharisee i mean imagine putting a pharisee at the back of a function at a wedding all the way back man henry will just beat him up he doesn't know what to do with it he doesn't have any sense to use his brain and say, well, uh, maybe I don't know these people like they know these people. Or maybe that there's a friendship here that is closer than, you know. They don't use their senses because it's not about being logical or, or sensible or godly for that matter. It's about, I want the preeminence. Well, if anything, would you want to take the, the, the bridegroom's place? That's, that's how they act. Well, yes, they wanted to take the bridegroom's place. They wanted to take his place. Look at verse 6. And they loved the upper rooms of feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But he says, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master. Amen. Even Christ. And you're all brethren. And call no man father upon the earth, for one is your father. And by, by the way, this is alluding to, to divine, uh, uh, you know, uh, reference. Obviously, you can call your earthly father, father. But we're talking about 
recognising that person to be divine. In, the Catholic, in Catholicism, we called the leaders father, but we didn't look at them as our earthly father, we looked at them as a divine. And this is what they wanted. They wanted the divine place, preeminence, power, and praise. And he says, there's only uh, one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for there was one is your master, even Christ. He says, but he that is greatest among you should be your servant. Look at verse 12. And whosoever shall what? Exalt himself shall be abased. And he that who humble himself shall be exalted. And so the Pharisees wanted Jesus out of the picture because they wanted the following. They wanted to be called rabbi, master, father. They wanted to exalt themselves above Christ and God. Sound familiar? Who else wanted to exalt themselves above the throne of God and be like the whole high mind? Who else? You remember Lucifer? Yeah, the pride problem in heaven was stemmed out of envy because of God's throne. And the problem is this. And that's why the Lord or God says, I'm not having it because of Isaiah 42 verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. You think God's going to share his glory with dumb idols, let alone humans that have been created from the dust of the ground? No way. Well, what about angels? Not even them. Not even them. And so what's the cure there for, for envy? Now, we have to understand that we are all prone to allow the old man or the flesh to rear its head up, aren't we? And, uh, and, and the carnal church at Corinth had this rippled through their church. So we understand that it actually can happen. It can. It can exist in the church. And so what's the cure for someone that is simply engaged in fleshly uh, uh, vices and, and all these different things. Well, the cure is no doubt repentance. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 12. Have a look. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. If you ever had this, or you do have this, or you're struggling with this, you need to be broken before the Lord and repent. Repent before the Lord. Hate it. Hate it because God hates it. Amen? Hate it because it's destructive. Hate it because it's destructive to, 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 to people, to others. And I want you to see verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 12. He says, For I fear, lest I come. And this is the second epistle, by the way. The first one was more of a rebuke than an encouragement because of the division and envy and strife that was taking place in the carnal church. The majority of them, by the way, were carnal. There were a few exceptions like the household of Stephanus that addicted themselves to the ministry. But for the most part, the church were carnal, carnal babies. And, and you can see that in the first epistle. And this is the second epistle. And in, in chapter 8, we see that they came good. We saw that they had repented and there was fruit of their repentance. But over here, he gives a little more admonition here. He says, for I fear, lest when I come, I should not find you as, as I would. And that I, should, I, sh, I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be what? Debates. What's that word there? Envyings. Wraths. Strifes. Backbiting. Whispering. Whispering. Swelling. Tumults. And lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you 
and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not what? Repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lasciviousness which they have committed. Every sin committed must be repented of. There's no justification for sin. You struggle with this, no justification. You come, the Lord, you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I do not want to act out of envy. Now we understand, we've heard the phrase uh, that uh, prevention is better than what? Cure. So how do we prevent it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to fall into a especially this kind of sin that is so destructive to, to people and to our surroundings. I don't want to fall into this kind of sin and then all of a sudden say, Lord, please forgive me after the damage is done. Now, is there forgiveness? And is there room for repentance? There is. But a whole heap of, you know, damage is done along the way. So how do we prevent this? And it's easy. I mean, what do you mean easy? Well, the principles are easy. But we have to follow them. And the first one is, is to walk in love, which is direct opposite, if you will, of envy. Envy is a part of the old nature, and love is part of the new nature. We're talking about authentic love. And so envy opposes true Christ-like love. Remember what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. That charity, what? Love suffereth long and, it's, and is kind, and charity envieth not. It's opposite. It's the opposite of love. In the Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, he says, Set me a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon thy arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a most vehement, vehement flame. So love is willing to die for. Envy's not. Envy's willing to kill. It's not willing to lay down your life. And so it's quite the opposite. Now again, do you know why Cain killed his brother? You say, out of envy. All right, I want you to see what John says in verse 11. Look at this. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should, what? Love one another. Not as Cain. So the problem with Cain is that he didn't love his brother. That's what you say. Oh, isn't that the root problem? Root problem, praise and glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the grandest thing is the lack of love that he showed toward his brother. Lucifer didn't love God. Joseph's, Joseph's brothers didn't love him. They didn't love Moses. They didn't love Aaron. Saul didn't love David. Who did they love? Themselves. Lovers of self. And that's the problem. Lack of love. So if we walk in love, if we walk in love, if we just love people, not wanting anything, not wanting the praise, accolades, trophies, any, just loving them because we want to love them. We want to love them like Christ. We're not looking for any kind of recognition, just pure love. That's Christ-like mind. Look at Philippians chapter 2. 
It says over here in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minding, having this what? The same love. The same love. What's the same love? Being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or, what's that? Vain glory. Remember, that's the root problem. Wanting the glory. Wanting to be recognized. Want to be praised. Not strife over... But, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look at this. Not, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine people, Christians, living like this, thinking about others? If this person is blessed, wow. So I say that to our kids. They's, my kids run up to me, I give them these sweet bananas, and they're sweet and they're nice, and I give one, two, and the other one I maybe gave them a little two and a half. And they look like that, you say, he got an extra half. Say, thank God for that. Thank God he got an extra half, amen? Yes. And aren't you happy for your brother that he got an extra half? Now, as little as the illustration is, it's so important. And this is what I want to get my... I mean, other times I say, okay, he, he can have a half. But other times I say, you know what, just, just thank God that he got extra. Why is your eye evil? Because I'm good. <laughs> and I want to bless him. I mean, I mean, honestly, the reason why the world's a mess is because they look at God and say, how come I don't have what they have? How come I'm not, you know... Uh, this tall, or how come I don't have the brain that he has, or how come I can't do anything, God, oh, poor me, or how come I don't have the parents that he has, or whatever. And they look around, and they envy, and then they go, mm, and they don't love God. Well, why don't you be happy for what you have instead of what you don't have? Why don't you bless God for what you have instead of what you don't have? Why don't you love God for just giving you one day of life? Because we don't even deserve that day. God has blessed us with so many things. You know, true Christ-like love is the opposite of envy. And then walk in wisdom. Walk in the truth. Walk in the truth. James 3. Have a look at James 3, verse 14. Envy opposes the wisdom of God and is earthly. It's sensual. Look at this. It's devilish. It's devilish. Look at James 3, please, and verse 14. James 3, look at verse 14. But if you have bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts, what does he say to do not? Glory not. Glory not. And lie not unto the what? There you go. Alright? Lie not unto, against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying it and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now back it up to verse 13. Uh, sorry, yeah, verse 13. Look what he says here. Who is a wise man 
and endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of what? Quite opposite than what we just saw there. Someone that is sober-minded, filled with scripture and the truth, doesn't uh, react, but acts in a way that is sensible or spirit-filled. And that's the next one as we close this. Give me about five minutes <clears throat> or a little bit more. Uh, listen, you want prevention? Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, constantly be controlled by God's Spirit. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to exhibit and manifest love and wisdom. Because the opposite is true. If you're not walking in the Spirit, what's the default? The flesh. Uh, have a look at Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And look at this. And let us not be desirous of vain glory. Don't even desire the vain glory. Provoking one, uh, one another, envying one another. You know, most of the, the, the ripple effect in the church that really decays the church is because of people not walking in the Spirit of God. If you had people walking in the Spirit of God, they'll be spiritual. It doesn't matter if they're one year in the faith, and it doesn't matter if they're 50 years in the faith, because you know what? If the one-year person in the faith doesn't have the knowledge, and it, it comes to them that they have done something wrong according to the Scripture, they break. And they're sensitive to sin. They're wow. And if you had people walking in the Spirit of God, they're not going to exhibit vainglory, nor are they going to provoke one another or envy one another. They're going to serve one another for their own good. They want to see Him excel. They want to see Him grow. They want to see God's glory fulfilled in their life. That's the, spirit mind. That's the Spirit's mind, by the way. You look at the lust of the flesh, it's everything against they're contrary. The flesh and the spirit are contrary. And the, and, the, and the last of the flesh, and you see in Galatians 5, one of it is envyings. Now, in closing, I want you to see Proverbs 14, verse 30, and we're done. And I just want to say this in closing. Envy is not only a killer toward others, but it's also a killer and it will hurt your health. Did you know that? It's no good for your physical health or your spiritual health. It's terrible. It's terrible. Proverbs 14 verse 30, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. So this is not only talking about having a healthy physical heart. Of course, uh, we know and understand, no doubt, a healthy heart equates to a healthy body. You've got a healthy heart. That's good. It goes deeper than that. God's wisdom uses the heart as a metaphor for our innermost being. It, it, it is when we are sound inside. It is the attitude of our heart, the attitude of, or, or the spirit of our heart, the foundation of our emotion, that it brings health and life to every part of the body. And, and not only our physical body, but even our spiritual body. Did you know that envy can hurt or destroy or decay the body of Christ? I mean, it's an application here. 
because the body of Christ is likened to the body of a man. To have envy in the church or envy in your own life or even in the home decays the functionality of the bone. Even goes straight to the bone. Straight to the bone. Not only the flesh but the bone. And it rots, it, it decays, it rots away. And that's what, that's what happens to the human body. Or the, the, and I can say the spiritual life of a person. Listen, you're going to continue to feed envy. And you want to have pride and vainglory and strife and all this. You're only, not only bringing destruction to others, but you're bringing destruction to yourself. Someone once said, how true is it? Envy will not only rob you of your joy and fellowship with the Lord, but it will affect you physically and as Christians we are told to lay aside envy it says in 1st Peter chapter number 2 wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and what and envies envy is a killer lay it aside desire the sincere milk of the word if anything uh, would cause you to not have an appetite for the word of God it's envy you know, you'll start reading the Bible dry. God's not going to speak to you in a very passionate, uh, sobering way because you've got some things in your attitude, in your spirit that needs to be fixed. You need to lay it aside. And you need to repent of it. And if it's, and if it's not there and you're walking good uh, with the Lord, continue to walk in good, uh, uh, good with the Lord. Continue to allow uh, uh, the Lord to direct your steps. Uh, steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and, uh, and, and walk in love and walk in wisdom and walk in the Spirit and continue to live victoriously, wanting to see people excel and want God's best for them. May God help our church, our families and our lives to continue to do that which is, uh, you know, holy. And remember, envy is a killer. It's of the devil. It's devilish. When you see it rear up its head, say, no. Thank you, Lord. You say, do you get the emotion creeping up? Yeah, but I don't want it to be festering. Because we're all sinful people, we still have this sinful body, but we're in reason's hair up, say, Lord, don't want it, not gonna act upon it, not making that call, not sending that text. No, 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 I'm not gonna no. No. If you can go as far as praying for your enemies, how much more for one another? And many times in the Bible, the Bible talks about not envying the sinner. Amen. Don't envy the sinner. And again, being over the world is a key. And I don't have time to develop it. But if, if you're not over the world and you're still envying the sinner, forget about it. Forget about it. May God help us, every single one of us, to walk in love, walk in the Spirit, walk in wisdom, and uh, lay aside envy. Because it's a killer. Amen? Let's pray.